listening to the Rothko Chapel podcast. So I'm talking today with Carrie Kennedy. She's the president of the Robert F. Kennedy Human Rights. She's also speaking at the Rothko Chapel on October 8th at 7 p.m. Ms. Kennedy, could you tell me a little bit about how you became involved in social justice work? Sure. Well, I have uh, seven brothers and four, three sisters, and when you have that many siblings, you appreciate human rights at a very young age. <laughs> um, uh, I, my earliest memories are when my father, Robert F. Kennedy, was the attorney general at the, the height of the civil rights movement, mm-hmm. and my parents really didn't separate their home life from their work life, so our house was always filled with civil rights activists, um, uh, farm workers like Cesar Chavez um, and Dolores Suerta and um, Native American activists and uh, a lot of nuns and, and priests and others who were trying to create a more a more just um, America. So um, when I learned to tie my shoes, I made sure that if I put my left one on first, I tied the right one first so that there <laughs> would be no prejudice. Equality at a young age. No, no discrimination. <laughs> yeah, so those are values that, you know, you, you one picks up from the ether and and uh, and um, engages in. And that's, 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 so I've been doing this for a long time or thinking about it for a long time. Do you, you mentioned um, being around religious leaders. Do you think spirituality can play a role in, in social justice, or how have you seen it play a role, I guess, in social justice? Well, for, for me, my, my um, Catholicism, the Catholicism in which I grew up um, and the political activity are really one and the same. Um also, it's part of being an American and part of being a member of our family. So all of those groups that are, you know, I, I identify as the most important um, communities in my life were very much all part and parcel of the same um, commitment to social justice, to uh, anti-poverty work, and to um, assuring that everyone's rights are respected. Mm. Um, I grew up in a very religious home. Both my parents considered um, joining the church as a a priest or a nun. Um, I went to Catholic school for four years. Um, You know, we went to church several times a a week and etc. And as a as a human rights activist, in so many of the places I've traveled around the world, it's really been the church that has led the fight for human rights. Of mm-hmm. course, we're talking here about El Salvador with mm-hmm. Archbishop Romero, mm-hmm. um, the the Catholic um, peace and social peace and justice. Uh, program in Argentina mm-hmm. led the fight there against the military. Um, Cardinal Sin in the Philippines in the 1980s. Um, Cardinal uh, the Cardinal from East Timor um, 
uh, Archbishop Francis from Liberia, of course, mm-hmm. you look at the, the work of the Jewish faith in Russia um, in the 1980s, trying to stop, um, uh, trying to assure that, that Jews were allowed to emigrate to Israel mm-hmm. um, with the refuseniks. I mean, it just goes on and on and on. Um, Poland with really it was so much a result of the activities of John Paul II the Polish Pope Mm -hmm. which helped um, bring democracy and uh, to to Poland and um, overcome communism throughout Eastern Europe so Mm -hmm. everywhere I've gone I've seen the church um, fully engaged Mm. in human rights activity and you, you mentioned um, Archbishop Romero, and I was in reading about you, I noticed that you had a connection to Al Salvador. Do you want to tell our listeners a little bit about that? Sure, sure. Um, the first Robert F. Kennedy Human Rights Award was presented in 1983 to the Mothers of the Disappeared, mm. um, which is a very long name, but it ends with Oscar Romero. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's a, it was an organization that of, of women whose children or husbands had been disappeared by Roberto Dobison and the, and the death squads in El Salvador who were working to um, find their lost loved ones. Um, when we gave that award, the Reagan administration in, El, in Washington um, declared the Comadres as a terrorist organization oh, wow. and would not allow them to come to to the United States to accept the award. So mm. you can see this kind of extraordinary split in in the United States over um, the wars in El Salvador. Mm-hmm. And we we proceeded to give that award to the mothers, to Comadres, and then work with them. Um, and to this day, we are telling the stories of the comadres um, with Maria Teresa Tula and others as heroes of justice in our um, in our education program, which is taught to about a million students worldwide each year. Mm-hmm. Do you so the thinking about an award like the the Robert F. Kennedy Award or the Oscar Romero Award, do you see that these awards make a difference in the broader human rights social justice work or I I think they really do. Um the they they bring um the spotlight to human rights abuses and human rights abuses take place under a cover of night, mm-hmm. you know, in dark and lonely places. Literally, a lot of them take place at night. Yeah. Um, and so when you are able to, to shine that spotlight on them, uh, it really brings an enormous degree of protection to the people who are um, who have been targeted, and I think that that's what this award is going to do. Mm-hmm. Um, it is a lot easier to uh, to arrest, to uh, torture, to um, disappear someone who no one's heard of sure. than somebody who has been given the Rothko Chapel mm-hmm. um, Oscar Romero. Award, so I think this is going to be a very, very important award. 
You mentioned the the comadres and um, the awardees this year are women, and actually our last awardee was um, a Mexican labor rights worker who was a female. Do you see that women play a particular role in social justice work in Latin America, or is it a coincidence? Or well, I think that in not only in Latin America but uh, across the globe, women. Um, are the targets of mm. uh, of abuse and have um, have really in many many instances been the main proponents of stopping that type of abuse. So mm-hmm. I don't think it's a coincidence. I think it's a natural outcome of the degree of of attacks and abuse that women face. Mm. So I think um, it's. At least I had this experience in reading about um, Archbishop Romero and actually being in El Salvador for his beatification was that, you know, he kind of becomes like a mythical hero. And a lot of people think of um, like his level of courage is beyond them. And I and I was wondering if you had any thoughts about how ordinary citizens like the Comadres or Miriam and Berta, how how. Um, you develop the skills to speak truth to power, stealing from your your book title, or especially when it, when it comes at well, such a high cost. I think it's, you know, I, I catch your point, because yeah. I think so often we, you know, seal our saints in stained glass, mm-hmm. and they become so far above us yeah. that we're no longer on the hook. You know, we're sort of off the hook. Who could be like that? None sure. of us are saints. Yeah. Um, and so we sort of go about our business not no longer challenged by them here on earth, but mm-hmm. people like Berta and Miriam show us that there are people, you know, living, breathing people in our midst who are going out there every day and showing great acts of courage. I think one of the things that's important to ask young people, which we do through our Speak Truth to Power education program, is to ask them, when have you been courageous? Mm. And sure enough, um, you know, there's courage is, is not something that's saved for saints. Courage is a, uh, is a human trait that everyone demonstrates at one point or another in his or her life. And um, once we lay claim to our own courage, then that is something that we can hold on to and exercise again and again and again as we face the types of brutality that all of us um, are subject to. Mm. When you see, I guess, you know, what's happening in Europe right now where it seems like a lot of individuals have pressured governments into taking on more refugees, is that the type of courage... um, we can have, or is that something a little different? No, I think that that's, that's part of it. I think that there, there's, you know, all of us are confronted every single day. If you go into any middle or high school in the United States, you'll see the words uh, bitch or stick or fag or mm-hmm. retard or, you know, et cetera. Um, and all sorts of words that can't be repeated on this Mm -hmm. podcast. Um, And each time students are confronted by those words, they have to make a decision. Am I going to go along or am I going to stand up? Mm -hmm. And that can happen to them 20 or 30 times a day. And so each time they make that decision, they're exercising a muscle, either the stand-up muscle or the go-along muscle. And so what we really try to do... um, 
uh, Robert F. Kennedy Human Rights is show students how to exercise the stand-up muscle. And after they use it again and again and again, 20 or 30 times a day, that becomes the go-to muscle that Mm. they rely on and will continue to rely on for the rest of their lives. Mm. And that's what I think is is so very, very, very important to Mm. really show people, give people the skill sets so that they know how to exercise that power that all of us have inside without... um, uh, with well, not without fear, but with confidence that they can withstand the the consequences mm-hmm. because standing up is important to them. I like that metaphor of a muscle. That's really brilliant. <laughs> as as you know, the Rothko Chapel is um, we call it a sacred art space, and I was wondering if you had any thoughts about what role art can play in. Um, social justice work, maybe education, or even finding solutions to problems? Well, I think that um, it, it, tell me about a human rights abuse, and I will show you an artist rendering of that. Mm. <laughs> it's just, they're, they're not out there without artists, um, singers, playwrights, videographers, photographers, others depicting them. Mm-hmm. And that is um, often the the only outlet for people who are um, subjected to, to abuse. Um, so I think that there's a lot to learn from artists, and that is really a way that we express the, the agony and the anguish that some many that's so much part and parcel of the human experience Mm -hmm. in a way that everyone can relate to um you know nobody is immune one out of three women is sexually assaulted during her lifetime in Mm -hmm. the united states one out of every four girls are sexually assaulted by the time she reaches 18 Mm. um so Think, count up the number of women you know who have been sexually assaulted. Mm-hmm. And if you can't count them, it's not because it didn't happen. It's because they're not talking about it. Yeah. Um, but through through art, through song, through creativity, people have access um, to, to those feelings, to those um, experiences in a way that's vitally important to the human spirit. Mm, that's a great point. Well, we I can't tell you how excited we are to have you here in, in a week. I can't believe how quickly this has come up. And we hope everybody listening has an opportunity to join us. Thank you so much for your time today. Okay, thank you. Thank you for listening to the Rothko Chapel podcast. The Rothko Chapel is a sacred space in the heart of Houston, dedicated to art, spirituality, and human rights. We're open every day of the year for you to experience the contemplative power of the 14 monumental Mark Rothko paintings inside. For more information about the chapel, our upcoming programs, and how you can support our mission, please visit our website at rothkochapel.org.